This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. My name's Travis Bean. My name's Chris Lambert. Welcome to Film Colossus. Your guide to movies. You, the one with that smile, yeah. Come over here for a while. Hey girl, do you hear what I say? Ah, and we we truly are the guides. Or I guess maybe Chris is the guide to this movie. Are you not? <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a movie I have spent many many an hour writing about, and a lot of uh, I guess you don't use ink anymore. But if I was using ink, mm. to would have gone through movie, a few quills. Yeah, yeah. I would have burned out some quill. I would have been writing so fast and furiously that the quill would have caught on fire. The yeah. ink would have caught on fire. The page would have caught on fire. They but would have I to, typed. like, next day deliver some, some feathers for you. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to run out, catch a peacock. <laughs> you think peacocks are what they use for quills? Weren't they? I mean, not all the time, I guess. But, like, aren't there the fancy, like, peacock quills that people sometimes... I just I, always picture Benjamin Franklin writing with, like, a peacock quill. I, I have to be honest. I've never once in my entire life thought about what bird was used for a quill. So, like, I'm sitting here genuinely asking you, like, was it a peacock? <laughs> uh, I don't know. All I right. guess that's a, another podcast. Yeah, our listeners will update us on that. But today we are talking about... I, I remember back in 2013 when this movie came out. It was like everyone was talking about it. The feel good movie of the year. Prisoners. Like, <laughs> it's got all your favorite actors in there. And like they're all holding hands and smiling the entire time. I was so excited to see it. It's just a, a happy. It's one of those rare movies that doesn't even have a nader. It's just happy from start to finish. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, just kidding. This is a an awful, awful movie to watch. It'll make you feel terribly sad and have no hope for the world. So this will be a fun episode. <laughs> So that's your reaction. My reaction is just like pure joy as I watch this movie. Well, I just meant thematically. That's kind yeah, of what it's getting yeah, at. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not hinting at how I felt watching the movie. We'll get into that later. We'll get into that. Yeah, Prisoners is one. It's been big for Film Colossus um, yeah. over the years. I think I wrote the guide on it in 2019. And it took like a few months of like 
kind of like digging into the movie, watching, rewatching, like piecing it together. There's so much nuance in this film. Um, and then when I finally like wrote our, what was at the time, like giant explanation on prisoners, uh, which is now like what the colossal explanation or just like the movie guide. Yeah. Um, it's just been something that like now hundreds of thousands of people have read over the years, which is pretty exciting. Mm. Uh, it's nice to kind of help people understand this movie. And it makes me happy that so many people continue to like watch this movie and be impressed by it. Uh, like spoiler alert. I think this is like an incredible, incredible movie. Um, and should be one that's talked about for like decades, if not centuries. So. Yeah, <laughs> it, it seems Denis Villeneuve, is that you say? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. He, he seems to have that effect on people, like his movies. Like a lot of people are obsessed with Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 um, and obviously Dune. Um, but Prisoners, it's an interesting one because like all three of those movies are sci-fi and this is like, it's such a, it's a mid, it's not a Midwestern movie. It felt Midwestern to me the whole time. <laughs> it's like a Pennsylvania, they're in Pennsylvania. Um, but it has such a humble aura. Like it's so downtrodden and like normal, ordinary folk and going through something extraordinary, but still it's, there's something very real about it that isn't like a lot of his big movies. Like Polytechnique's like that. Um, it's about a, a shooting. And I guess Sicario, to an extent, is at least like on the ground, <laughs> like stuff that actually happens in this world. We're, we're watching that happen. Um, <laughs> but Prisoners is like the most just like it just feels the most uh, familiar, I guess. Like it's something that like affects people, like something we hear about. They're going through all the themes and emotions people are going through. Like it, it's all stuff that's very relatable. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that prisoners of all of his movies seems to have like stood time the best so far. It, it came out on Netflix, and we just had an influx of people searching what happened, what's going on in prisoners. Like it, that many people are watching it, that many people are curious about it and talking about it online and searching it. It's just uh, it's crazy that Denis seems to continually do that to people. It's a similar effect that Christopher Nolan has. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's funny how you're describing prisoners as being like a little more like grounded approachable is probably not the right word, but like familiar right. in a way com relative to his other films. And I recently watched insomnia for the first time, which have you ever watched insomnia? I sure have. I have never seen it. And it's like the only, it's now what's the the first one that he did his first films the only one oh, following. That i've ever seen yeah following um so it was one of two that i had never seen and there was something like incredibly refreshing <laughs> like going back to early christopher nolan where he's kind of felt a bit more restrained right like he was within the system rather than <laughs> larger than the system mm. or like in blockbuster mode um, compared to his other films, like there was something a lot more familiar, approachable, just simple and kind of beautiful about his filmmaking in Insomnia and how just the narrow scope of the story and the groundedness of the story really allowed that to shine. Um, and Prisoners, I think, has a, a similar... I mean, I think Prisoners is like 
far and away a thousand times a better movie, but I think there's a similar dynamic at play when you compare where Denis went to and where Nolan went to and how each of Insomnia and Prisoners kind of stand as this like last <laughs> bastion of like smallness and normalcy. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so, okay, let's let's backtrack a little. Prisoners comes out in 2013. Did you see it back then? I did not. Um, I had, what was going on in 2013? I was in Iowa. Oh gosh, we were both in Iowa. We were both in Iowa. So <laughs> I, uh, I don't remember what was going on at the time that I would have missed it because we were definitely doing film Colossus work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was seeing movies in theaters. I don't know how I missed this when it came out, but it was something that wasn't even like, I kind of remember the trailers for it and just kind of having this like, okay, like Hugh Jackman's an interesting actor. Jake Gyllenhaal's like pretty good, but eh. And for some reason I was completely ambivalent to this movie though. Mm -hmm. I remember the trailers being like very intense. Yeah. I probably saw the trailer. Um, but I honestly don't have much recollection of this movie back in 2013. I, Mm-mm. I mean, it just like we said, it's it's been evergreen. Like it's remained popular. So like I just heard about it and then eventually watched it, probably a few years after it came out. Yeah, I think the first time I saw it was, so I saw Sicario. I I had never seen like a Villeneuve movie either at mm. that point, so I didn't know anything about him. Um, I also remember Enemy, like the trailer for that and being like, Jake Gyllenhaal is busy. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't until Sicario that I discovered, in quotes, Villeneuve. Yeah. I, I was at the San Sebastian Film Festival and I don't know what it was about the movie. I think it was like the premiere movie or something. And I just happened to get into it. And it was in this old theater in San Sebastian in like northern Spain, just like 10 miles from the border with Italy. Beautiful, beautiful like coastal city that I've been Mm -hmm. wanting to go to for years. It had been kind of like a bucket list thing. So to go to a film festival there was really exciting. And uh, I'm in this old school theater in like the balcony. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's like a like a theater theater with the balcony seating um on the side so i'm sitting on the side and this movie comes on i was just entranced start to finish with sicario i like blew my mind was raving about it the moment the movie ended started telling everybody i could talk to that it was one of the best movies i've seen in like forever (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so i was pretty obsessed with denis after that and i think it was when i got back that i realized he had done prisoners and i finally watched it in like 2015 2016 got it yeah sicario definitely would have been my first denis movie i've only seen that once which i think to you both you and our mutual friend jordan's dismay uh you both seem to be big fans of that movie so I've always wanted to rewatch it, even though I don't remember particularly loving it. Um, and over the years, I don't know what order I watched them all in. I remember watching Arrival when it came out, so I probably watched that next and then got around the Prisoners, probably like 2016, 2017. Um, and, 
you know, I was I was much more of a fan of Arrival. I also not revisited that movie. Um, I kind of wonder <laughs> if I would like it as much, but I remember at the time really enjoying it um, as much as you can enjoy a depressing movie like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and watch. I remember probably around then I watched Prisoners, and it's funny. I don't have much of a recollection of watching it the first time. I don't think I had a negative or positive reaction to it. Like, like I feel like I would remember it if I did. Um, the second time I watched it is what I remember more uh, because I probably ended up watching it after I realized your article was blowing up and I was like alright like give this movie another shot and really did not enjoy it the second time um, I still I mean I find your piece your, uh, your piece fascinating like I like the labyrinthine style of the movie and I I do think there's a lot of thematic meat there and there's a lot for the actress to chew on but for whatever reason the presentation of all those things wasn't hitting me um so that was my attitude coming into this viewing of the movie okay so this would be your third time watching this is my this was my third time yeah okay i remember the first time i watched it i think it's one of the like few films that i like i don't think i rewatched it immediately after but I think I watched it again within like the first week yeah. of seeing it the first time, just being like, Oh my God, <laughs> like the intensity that I felt like the, imp- how impressed I was, especially like Roger Deakins, mm-hmm. just like the cinematography, like really hit for me. And I then watched it. I want to say like three more times while writing the article while also like going back and forth through it. And then I did movie guide pieces for it recently. So watch it again. And then for the podcast, watch it again. So I'm somewhere in like approaching the 10 watch range. Yeah. Which is like, there aren't many movies in your life. You've seen that many times. No, which is kind of crazy to me that this one is with how kind of like under the radar it was, but even rewatching it this time, like, just such joy yeah i love that about like this will sound really dumb and lame compared to like us talking about prisoners but like every time i watch super bad like i feel like i notice more things about it and like kind of realize the depth of it and how much it goes beyond just like stupid high school comedy it's just really <laughs> fun to keep re-watching movies that much and by the you know by the 10th time you watch something you're like suddenly looking at like the people in the background and like noticing things that like <laughs> probably don't matter but like you want to you want to read into everything you know yeah there's that scene um in prisoners where what a uh, hugh jackman and um terrence howard have alex paul dano mm-hmm. and hugh jack or hugh jackman's like I I have the hammer. Like, don't make me do it. Are you going to make me do it? And you're so caught up in, like, Alex and Hugh that this time I was just watching Terrence Howard's That's face. That's funny. I was looking at Terrence Howard there. Yeah, just him being like, oh, oh, and him kind of leaning forward at one point to look at Alex's hand on the sink. And just like, good job. Good job, Terrence. <laughs> like, you are, you are selling, like, your fear, confusion, interest. Yeah. Like, look, good work. My wife made a joke about that scene. It's <laughs> making jokes about a scene like that but we were um and like terrence howard in that moment looks like he came to set that day they didn't give him a script they didn't tell him what was going on they just like, thrust <laughs> him into a scene and he's like just react like let it be natural and he's just like absolutely horrified <laughs> I, I mean 
now that you're saying it, like I kind of. <laughs> That's why he's such it. a good actor. That's how he does every movie. <laughs> Just a little bit of obliviousness. <laughs> um, so come into this view, and you were, I, I, you enjoyed it, obviously. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I still was like a little bit like, am I really going to get anything different out of watching this movie again? Uh-huh. Aren't I like, haven't I mastered this movie at this point? <laughs> um, no, you got to watch it for 10,000 hours. Yeah, there was like still a lot of like really subtle stuff that I picked up on that I never really like as much as I've like gone in on details of this movie. Like one thing that jumped out was just like the threat of whistling and how that kind of like keeps coming into play not just like the whistle itself but the actual idea of like whistling and song or even like the song when um keller and his son are coming back from hunting at the beginning it's like a gospel song Mm -hmm. and talking about like you know having faith and relying on god and so much of the movie then is about religion and faith and the challenge of faith through this uh through like tragedy and loss and pain yeah that was probably um this view of the movie that what i felt the most was that theme and i mean obviously it's not like i didn't catch the theme before it's a pretty overt theme um but just how much it the idea of religion spirituality like if there is some sort of divine presence there if you're all alone just like pure purely just the existential crises that everyone in this movie seems to be facing stemming from religion like i i felt that a lot more in this movie and i mean especially with um holly joan holly's character melissa leo just how you know she lost a son was it a son right yeah yeah um and then from that decided to quote in quotes wage a war with god like to think that the hurt and pain you feel the the unfairness of the world these things that are inexplicable that happen to you that are tragic and terrible like the fact that that could drive you to become somebody like this and to inflict that pain on other people and to cause them to go through the same emotions you went through and to question the idea of god um i mean that's so again like that's so exaggerated and so movie-like but to me that kind of captures (laughs) the state of the world as i see it now you know half the reason like we have this sort of division in our country, in our world. It's just people hurt and they get mad when they hurt and they can't explain it. So they inflict hurt on other people and it becomes this very wide cyclical thing of, of hurt just kind of multiplying and, and causing people to go into other existential crises and like wonder like why the world is this way. It's uh, this movie becomes like a microcosm of that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it's something that, like, that idea of, like, the timelessness of what it explores, not just, like, the abduction, like, getting way beyond, like, what actually happens, but getting into that crisis of faith and the way in which people either turn to infliction or 
maintain a course like oh but we do see keller like take out his pain on alex yeah. i mean he's he's trying to get information but still he's like inflicting pain on somebody else because he doesn't know what else to do he can't just let uh jake gyllenhaal uh detective loki do the job yeah like it, that's beyond him but uh, some of the stuff that like trips me up about this movie in like a great way mm. in terms of what you're saying is just like as bad as keller is him uh keeping alex locked up is the thing that causes holly to feel lonely which is the reason why she keeps the kids alive oh wow. so it's like does she indir- does she ever say that yeah she says something about like she would have gotten rid of them earlier, but with Alex being gone. Oh, wow. So it's just one of those things where it's just like playing into that idea of like, is it just coincidence? Is it all part of like this web of connections that add up into this idea of there being a divine presence? Uh, The fact that when Keller's Keller's praying when he's in the pits and he's like, dear God, like save my little girl, the very immediate next scene is Loki pulling up. Mm -hmm. And there's just like such connectivity there. But the larger thematics that you're saying about like how this ends up feeling like a microcosm in some ways for just like the way in which people deal with pain makes the movie feel like a bit timeless in a way or like always applicable, whether people are aware of it or not, there's something like that resonates in that tension between like what Holly decides to do, how Keller's handling things, how Grace is handling things. Like each person in this movie is handling their trauma in a different way. Some productive, some like completely tragic. And that's very fascinating in terms of just a, a look at the human condition. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. When life gets busy, you grind. You push, you reach for a stick of liquid IV powder. It hydrates you two times faster than water alone, so you can crush goals and your to-do list. Because real life is extreme enough. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Buy a stick in store or at liquidiv.com with the code podcast for 20% off your order. It, it really explores that like kind of pinball effect that you see hap- that I- Again, this movie builds it up to such an insane level, but like the idea that, you know, Keller loses his kids. So his reaction is to kidnap someone else's kid. Like that doesn't seem like the most sensible thing to do, but he's like so convinced that this person kidnapped his kids that he feels no remorse about taking someone else's child and and keep them captive and doing all these terrible things to him. Only do we later find out that Alex isn't really Holly's son that he was kidnapped and that he's been drugged and he's out of his mind. And so Alex then becomes this representation, both on Holly's part and Keller's part of like, just the, the trauma we inflict on children and just like how it, it manifests in them and carries over years and, and then pinballs and like affects these other people. And again, it's like, the movie just ends up being a microcosm of like things you see out in the real world and how people deal with pain and hurt and the crazy 
unreasonable reactions they have to all that. Yeah, like the, I guess kind of like the two sides of the coin aspect to it. Like not necessarily in Holly's case and what she's doing. There's no like other side of the coin. (laughs) But I'm thinking about Keller specifically in his doomsday preparations. Like that's a byproduct of his father's suicide. Mm. And because he lost his dad early, it's I think it specifically says the dad didn't even leave a note. Um, Keller's kind of rocked by that and hasn't been able to get away from the impact of that on him, which is why that apartment building is still there after all these years, like unchanged, just kind of this haunting memory of where he grew up, the life he had with his like dad. And now that continues to affect him as this doomsday prepper, uh, which he is then passing on to his kids to a degree. And the way that he's like raising them is in part inspired by this trauma. But at the same time, like him getting that red whistle for his daughter, which seems so over the top, uh, it's that red whistle that's in the bottom of the pits. And it's exactly that red whistle that's going to be the thing that causes Loki to discover Keller like in this pits and save him. So it's just one of those little things where like, that trauma has had such negative impact on him, but also there's another side of the coin of him being so prepared and him like taking these steps to kind of protect himself and try to protect his family. Yeah. The whistle thing. So I guess as I'm saying this out loud now, uh, I've realized what the answer is, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, because in the moment I was confused and then afterwards I was like, Oh wait, that must be. So the girl, uh, Hugh Jackman's daughter, she lost her whistle. Like she even says something like it's been gone for 113 days, uh, which yeah. I really like. That was like a, I always love when they do that kind of things of characters, like little, just little quirks like that. <laughs> like, I feel like that says so much about a person that she knows like the exact amount of days it's been gone. <laughs> Um, right. So I'm guessing. So when he goes down into the hole, he doesn't find her whistle because it's gone. He just that whistle's just left over from another child who had been down there. Uh, my, they specifically went off to try and find the whistle. Uh huh. So my thought on it was that she and uh, Joy were able to find the whistle before they were taken. Okay. And that it was like that, like whistle. Wow. After 113 days, she finds it on the day she gets kidnapped. That's lucky. <laughs> that is lucky. I mean, it could be like just another whistle and there's like a coincidence to that. Like it just kind of coming full circle. I guess it doesn't necessarily change things either way. No, it doesn't. Like, I was the, just curious. The, <laughs> yeah. But that, that is true that it would be uh, like a huge coincidence in that. That is everything we just talked about like that's one of the things about this movie that i think does resonate with people um it isn't exactly something that gets me jazzed about a movie um but i mean we're sitting here talking about the whistle like we're going into detail about like where the whistle came from like there is something kind of fun about a movie like this that is just full of little nuances and hints and expositions like that glory like you kind of have to once the movie's done you have to kind of look back and think through things and discuss them with people. And you're like, oh, that's why this happened. Oh, and that led to that. And okay, now I get it. Like people love that shit nowadays with like, you know, murder mysteries and everything. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's become... I don't know when that started. I feel like there's probably just kind of like yeah. artsy movies back Cereal, in the day. That were... I feel like Serial was big around this time. Oh, like specifically like in terms of like murder. Just culturally, mysteries. like people being fascinated with that stuff. Like it started with Serial in terms of podcasts. It's now like much bigger in podcast form. Um, but yeah, just in general, like people being obsessed with these stories and like wanting to know more about them and like docu-series now there are a bunch of docu-series on netflix but i'm sure there are plenty of docu-series on tv back then are you talking just like in general specifically about like kidnapping murder like all the true crime stuff just true crime stuff yeah yeah i thought you were saying like people wanting to discuss just like the plots of movies <laughs> uh no people have always and will forever continue to do that yeah i was like when did movies start getting like a little like more puzzle boxy i guess that would have been like 90s i feel like it would have taken on a bit more of that right like you know like seven and fight club yeah yeah right yeah it was just like things that like need to be explained like uh what's that uh the 12 monkeys you know just like a bunch of movies like that i feel like you probably had some of the surreal films back in the day like last year at mary and bad mm-hmm. 2001 oh, sure. space odyssey and then like any david lynch like, movie yeah kind of like getting into that arena but it feels like it really became something where like each year you could kind of <laughs> yeah look for an october november like september october november film that was going to have a little bit of that convoluted aspect yeah for in. sure um what did I think one of my favorite things, and it stood out to me the first time I watched it, and it's always like a part I look forward to every time I watch the movie, is the close-up of the, of the tree uh, when the girls are getting kidnapped. It's just like, oh yeah, the family. I, the family's still like having a happy Thanksgiving day. Like Terrence Howard's playing the uh, trumpets, and you just go to like the tree, and the shot just closing in on the tree, and it's inexplicable in the moment. And then you, the very next like shot is uh, Keller coming down to the kids being like, have you seen your sisters? Huh? What? So why do you like that shot so much? Cause I, I noted that shot myself um, in the sense that it was a very ugly shot. It's just so menacing. Like I've <laughs> never felt intimidated by a tree and I felt incredibly intimidated mm. by a tree with how it kind of like zoomed in. There was just something like, dreadful about that moment when like we just heard a family like singing songs like it should be nice but something about like the weather the the focus on the tree and the fact that it i think that there's something like unspoken about it like the subtext of the shot is that during this time this is when the girls got kidnapped and that's not really apparent on the first watch but as you're watching through, it's almost like instead of focusing on the kidnapping, they just decide to show us this tree for a few seconds. But it kind of builds up this air of like tension in a way that's not like indirect to the actual action that's taking place at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we're now getting into the territory of like. All right, spoiler alert, a spoiler halfway through the episode. I didn't enjoy this movie this time either. Like, I've ne- <laughs> I've just never enjoyed watching this movie. 
Um, Son of a bitch. And I, this scene that you're talking about, it's so funny that like you're describing this scene with such life. And I don't necessarily deny any of the stuff that you just said. Like, I think all of that is applicable to that shot on paper. Um, but I feel nothing during that shot. And it feels like ugly, I guess. Like I use the word ugly. And that's honestly the word I would use to describe this movie in general. Like I constantly don't feel anything. Um, despite like, I gotta tell you, ever since I had a kid, like any time a movie is about like father daughter or like anything involving a family, like everything where everywhere all at once, like I usually end up like having an extreme reaction to the movie. This movie, I really don't feel anything the whole time I'm watching it. Um, like obviously very good actors. Um, obviously like on paper, a very riveting story, but like the way it's presented with that tree moment being kind of the case in point. <laughs> like, I just like nothing is ever really grabbing me about this movie and pulling me into what is a very fantastic situation. Um, and that's kind of a deal breaker for me when it, when it comes to movies, like I, I need to be emotionally invested. I need to be gripped. I need to be moved. Um, and it's just something about the presentation of this movie. And I think about Denise movies in general, like I kind of always feel that way. Like the only movie I can think of from him that I didn't feel that way was Polytechnique, which I, a movie I felt intensely. Um, and to me, that movie has a much different uh, rhythm, energy. Like you're very consumed by these people who are caught up in the shooting and the way it's navigating everything. Like, I don't know what happened with like his presentation and how he explored these subjects, but like a movie like Prisoners, while I can agree that it's it's good on paper and there's a lot of fascinating stuff about it, like I just it's just a personal subjective thing. Like I can't find my in with it. It's so crazy to me. So I mean, you just described a tree. <laughs> like I don't know, how, like I don't know how I could possibly read into a shot of a tree like that. Yeah. I don't know how you can't. It's a, I mean, it is like a darker color palette in terms which, of just like yeah. the cinematography, which I mean, you might just not like Pennsylvania. Maybe <laughs> you should just put all the blame on Pennsylvania. I don't mind that look. That's like a David Fincher look. I like that. Yeah. I, it's uh I'd like to just like sit down and watch like a scene and be like, why is it this working? <laughs> uh, it, I, it's purely pure, for me. It's purely stylistic. Like uh, it, it's like, it, I guess it's like any painting, like a painting has to bring whatever it's looking at to life. Like it needs to, to thrust me into that world and make me see like the rhythms, the movement, the thematically what it's exploring, the emotion I'm getting from it. Like, I just, everything in this movie, like, I, I just feel like if another person made this exact movie, same script, same actors, and there was just a different cinematographer and a different person in the director's chair, like, kind of guiding and navigating everything, like, this would come to life. Like, I would feel it viscerally. But there's just something so static and blah about it all <laughs> i mean that's terrible of me to say like i know nothing about making a movie and how to make that stuff work but like i i do see it work quite often from directors i like and for some reason villeneuve like 
Villeneuve. Not Villeneuve. 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 <laughs> I can't even say his name right. Like, I shouldn't be insulting him, but, like, it, it's just, it's consistently the problem I run into with these movies. I just, I just, I'm at a loss for words because it's uh, explosive to me in a way that, like, I find so many other films, like, kind of hollow, not as interesting, like, a little, like, I find the emotion in this throughout like to me it's almost like perfectly executed uh, start to finish like I think it's one of the most like approaching perfect movies uh, that I've ever watched well people seem to be on your side on that one (laughs) (laughs) I'm the oddball right 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 Um, but just like you know with that shot with the tree like trees the landscape like it ends up being like a repeating like visual motif throughout the film Mm -hmm. um and there was something i don't know if i included it in the first guide uh or if it was like an update later but something about the idea with like loki and his connection with like norse mythology and the way that norse mythology was very connected to like the woods Mm -hmm. and the land uh, specifically trees. There's just something very fascinating to me in that, like both the contrast, but also like the unity of the like Christian faith and the more, um, what is it when something's non-Christian? <laughs> like, uh, uh, not pagan. That's not what that is. Um, I don't know. Blanking on the word, but yeah, a little more pagan, like Norse mythology, I think was a, a bit more pagan in that way and like the tension between those two things is they're usually at like odds with each other but also the way that you can kind of see the way like faith and religion is kind of entwining and it might be bigger than like the way in which keller understands it or the way in which loki understands it right so like that one shot of the tree for me connects with like all this other like visual all the other visual choices that are being made with the movie so let's back up to the norse thing is that some is that um do they talk about that in the movie no there's nothing like ever outright about it it's just loki's name being loki Mm -hmm. and then initially talking about the zodiac the tattoos that he has are tattoos of like other faiths Mm -hmm. um so you have like Keller who's very like clearly like Christian uh, or Catholic. Right. Um, heavily on that end. And then Loki from his name to his tattoos to like his opening scene seems very much positioned as like the other. Um, yeah. So uh, I mean, not to, I, I definitely don't want to shit on any of that. Cause that's all fascinating. And that's, that's interesting to me that it, I don't basically what I'm saying is I don't want to shit on people who find that fascinating. <laughs> like, like if that <laughs> it just doesn't do anything for you emotionally. I, like, I I really don't have any interest in a movie that's going through those kinds of rhythms. That like you need to know stuff outside of the movie and like research and bring it back. Like that makes me sound like a simpleton or something. But like, I guess <laughs> and. and I do so the way I'm going to paint this is like you discussing all that like that is interesting to me and I like knowing that now 
Um, and maybe that will color m- my impression of the movie like, <laughs> if I watched it for the fourth time. Um, but I, still, even knowing that information, like it doesn't really matter to me if it's not part of the movie, if it's not expressed uh, visually or at least through a little bit of dialogue. Like, like if I'm not let in on that and if it's not part of the movie's makeup and emotion, like it's just very difficult for me to like, like even I after hearing all that from you, like I'm not going to feel moved by it within the movie because it's not part of the movie. Like it's not part of the art. Like it, I, does that make sense? Like I just like I, there's some something in myself that is not able to do that. I, part of that makes sense because it is part of the art. Like there's like subtextual stuff throughout or just like show don't tell stuff throughout that reinforces those ideas of like religion and Catholicism and like for sure other religious views that it's like it's infused into the movie from like shots to dialogue um, to just like the editing like talking about when Keller prays to then cutting right to Loki arriving and this like infusion that Loki has over the course of the movie of kind of being this like not God figure but almost like divine figure mm-hmm. um is really like fascinating is not something that's just like kind of like skipped over or not developed like it's very it's very much like part of the dna of the film but i do get what you're saying in terms of it not being as like pronounced in a way that lets you in on that as like a primary like part of the viewing experience where it feels like that that's having like a much more active part in the film than what it has because i think whenever something's like subtextual like that it tends to take on a passive feeling Mm. throughout the course of the movie even if it creates like a sense of tension in the movie there's still something where like it's a bit more passive and acting asking you to dive in a bit right. more to discover like the the oil that's beneath the surface kind of thing and there's a way of handling that that's like a middle ground that makes it like subtextual but expressive and active in the film yes and then there's the way of just making it like purely active in the film which like you are i think that's what i want yeah, you you tend to lean more <laughs> I want it towards to feel that. alive. Yeah, with like uh, loving Michael Bay movies the way that you love Michael Bay movies, like Absolutely. loving the Fast and Furious franchise the way you love the fan- Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, um, but those movies are frenetic. Like even a movie like After Sun, which I I don't know if you've seen After Sun. Um, not yet. I mean, it's this this guy's this father's oh, depression is kind of it's felt throughout the movie. It's subtle at first, but then it, it kind of builds and you see more, and it becomes like part of like the pulsating beat of the movie like in a way that i i just don't see in a movie like prisoners like i i see it all technically like i can look at your article and like yeah that motif is there like this happened like this person said that but it again it feels like a movie that i have to understand in retrospect like i have to sit down like think about like okay that makes sense instead of a movie that actively as i'm watching it like i'm overwhelmed by it yeah, I, I mean, I have it's. It's hard for me to comment on yeah. After Sun having not seeing it. My impression based on just like 
what I've read and heard of it is that the movie being like a little more focused on like the father's experience allows that to have like more of an active role where like prisoners is a little more um spread out across yeah, its like, sure. kaleidoscope of characters yeah um you're right so then that way they're not really that similar but there's that i think that's a good example of like the middle ground of things or even something like apocalypse now i think is like a middle ground between mm-hmm. like the like outwardness of uh a michael bay movie versus like the insane subtlety of <laughs> right uh prisoners in that way where you have something like apocalypse now where it's very firmly one of those things where you have like the subtle stuff and the subtextual stuff but like it makes it clear how active those things are whether it's through like moments of dialogue or just giving like a scene that speaks a lot more clearly to it i think villeneuve especially with like enemy in that same year um was very much in his bag when it came to like i want to (laughs) be as like subtextual as possible right now yeah so if you're not like me you know you're not some curmudgeon curmudgeon and you can enjoy movies on the level chris does i do think this movie is pretty fascinating in that way that like there are so many subtleties in quotes like things you have to like catch in the moment or like you missed it um or things that you think don't matter that like matter later um and because of that my wife and I did talk about this movie for a bit. We went on a walk after we watched it and we did have some questions and Chris, I want to run them by you to get your take. Yeah, please. Okay. So when, um, who's the, the creepy guy, uh, <laughs> who's touching the bunny oh. at the, yeah. Yeah. Um, Toby. Oh my God. Bob Taylor, Bob Taylor, Toby. <laughs> um, Toby. his name should have been Toby. That's just my, my radical pitch. Um, <laughs> so they, they search his place and he's got like mazes all over the wall and stuff. Um, and they find a book about this famous serial killer who's obsessed with mazes. I don't remember exactly what they said about this character. Um, is the invisible man. Okay. Yeah. So is the invisible man, is that Holly's husband? Yeah. Holly, I guess it would be not just Holly's husband, but Holly and her husband. Oh, okay. Um, it seems like it was kind of the two of them working together. Got but it. They they did say that the area had nine like sex offenders. Mm. So I think I mean Holly says that they like took a lot of kids, but I don't know if like all sixteen, I think they say at one point were like her and her husband, or if it was like thirteen of them were her and her husband, or like ten. But yeah, they took a lot of kids. But that that would have been them. Okay. We found that a little confusing because like if they like they must know, I guess in in the police officer's mind, like they think somebody is mimicking the Invisible Man, and like that's whoever is mimicking the Invisible Man took these children. It just struck us as bizarre that they didn't think this book was right <laughs> if this was suddenly happening again. You know, I guess the some of the details there would be the book was written sometime before. Yeah. And the cop says that it was disproven. Yeah. But I don't, that's kind of like one of those things you throw into the dialogue, (laughs) but it's like, how was it disproven? Why was it disproven? In the initial, in the newspaper article that Loki's reading about, um, uh, what's Alex's original name? Like Barry. 
um, mm-hmm. Barry's disappearance, it mentions that like some think that it might be part of like a serial child kidnapper and the FBI are working with the family to figure it out. So it makes it seem like there's at least been people were talking about it. How long is it? How long has it been? Like 15 years, 12 years, 20 years, something. Yeah. Right. In that realm. And then Holly's husband's been missing for five years. Um, and the amount of kidnapping slowed down at that point. But it does seem strange that like you have a town that's had, it seems like a small town and that there have been over a dozen like child abductions in like a period of time. Mm-hmm. And here you have two more kids that are abducted like you think people would be talking a bit more about exactly that <laughs> i think that's what we found a little confusing and like how much importance to us to assign to that book and like they're kind of just brushing away the book and i was like oh so it was like holly not connected to the book so it was just a little confusing yeah it seems that her husband was like obsessed with the idea of the maze for whatever like reason he had um, and that was something that they made all the kids do was like get in the maze, so to speak, which was like the hole in the ground, do the maze puzzles. Um, but Bob eventually ran away after three weeks, mm-hmm. but it seems like he spent the rest of his life kind of Oof. obsessing. And those three it. weeks really fucked him up. Yeah. I mean, they mentioned that it's like a cocktail of L- LCD, no, LSD and ketamine. So... I wonder how like, how like drugged up the kids oh, are, gosh. like how sleep deprived, like the mazes, like the psychological trauma. Yeah, man. Uh. <laughs> I mean, this is not a detriment against the movie. Movies can explore any topic they want in any way they want. But like, I have a hard time watching movies where kids are just getting like drugged and abused like that. That is, I mean, again, that little girl though, um, um keller's daughter like she really just does a great job as much as i can credit like a little kid at acting like to play that part that's intense and like her energy at the end of the movie like i thought it was palpable yeah they like when she like rolls into the loki's room on the wheelchair right there was something really like she sold that very well to the point like there's times where when it's not like hugh jackman and jake gyllenhaal which i know the other like actors are big deals too like maria bello viola davis melissa leo's an oscar winner yeah but there's something with like the kids we're watching them i'm sometimes forget that it's a movie (laughs) i'm just like oh yeah she's also an actor (laughs) like acting not just like an actual little child that's recovering like gosh really did sell that well that is terrible to think about that like the drugs messed up bob taylor so bad like what is she gonna be like what is the rest of her life yeah, that's kind of like some of the like sad implications about this is that we want to, th- I mean, you have hope that they'll be okay. I mean, it's just like six days rather than a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the movie's called Prisoners and is exploring this trauma that all of these people have from various experiences. Like, is this going to be a trauma that they just like live with or is it going to be a trauma that shapes them? They're imprisoned by their trauma. Yeah. Uh, other questions. Um, so 
This was one I hadn't really thought about because I thought there was an answer to it, but it seems people are curious about it from your article. So do you think Alex is the one that kidnapped the kids? Uh, Yes. Okay. I think they got in the van with Alex. It says that he just wanted to play with them. Like Holly tells Keller, like he just wanted to play with them. I was the one that said they were going to stay. Um, like he was just driving around. So I imagine he drove around with them and then eventually drove back to like Holly's place. And okay. Holly like came out when he got back, saw the girls in the van and were like, get in the hole. Okay. I thought I could be wrong about this, but I thought there was a moment when Hugh Jackman confronts Holly at the end of the movie and she pulls the gun on him. She said something about being in the van with Alex. She, I'm pretty sure she just said that he just wanted to play with them, but she was the one. Cause I can't imagine that she would like, I can't imagine he would go back to his like former home with her in the car. Uh huh. Right. That's true. That's a good point. Like, I feel like that's something that like he does on his own as kind of like longing for what he used to have. Um, but there is like a line of dialogue where she acknowledges like the kids being in the van. Mm. Okay. That does make it make a little more sense. And it, it, it definitely tracks a little bit more that like these kids would get into the van with like another kid. Like he's a little older than them, but like, he's not like some crazy old woman. Um, so like, <laughs> right. it makes sense that he's able to, and then he brings him back there and he doesn't think anything's going to happen. And Melissa, Melissa Leo takes him. So that checks out. Um, oh, here's a question. And I don't know how you feel about this. Do you think mazes, uh, are a relevant motif in this movie? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't, I wasn't sure if they were or not. So I wanted to get your expert opinion. It would have been nice if you had told me this during prep. Yeah. Uh, that way I could prepare for know, this question but i wanted because, your like, honest like reactionary response so ah uh, yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say no <laughs> <laughs> i agree so we can move on yeah <laughs> um one thing that like i feel like the first couple times i watched the movie i wonder what he meant when alex is in his uh personal sauna um he <laughs> i don't remember this and just when he's like in the in the hot box in the shower, oh, that Kelly oh, keeps okay. I thought on. it was a line of dialogue. I was like, man, that is a bizarre line. Like, I do not remember that. Uh, he mentions that he, uh, what you call it? He's not Alex. He's like, I'm not Alex. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to play. He never showed up. You know, he just never came. I just wanted to play that kind of thing. Um, I saw people speculate that maybe that meant that. Alex was waiting for somebody. That's why he was at the parking lots at the gas station. Like maybe Bob Taylor ran away. Oh. I think maybe I was refer- I, like, I actually mentioned that in the initial article that I wrote, like maybe he's talking about Bob running away, but watching it this time, it seemed very clear what he was indicating was that I'm guessing Holly and her husband, their son's name was Alex. And that's the kid who died from cancer. Mm-hmm. And that when they kidnapped, Barry they said do you want to play with our son Alex and he's like yeah sure and they like picked him up in the van and brought him home 
And he's like, where's Alex? And they're like, you're in a maze now. You're Alex. And just made him become Alex. Yeah, I completely agree. That's that's what I got from it. Yep. Um, this is something else you mentioned in your article. Like, why didn't Alex confess to the police or Keller? Like, it is interesting that, like, Alex says that thing to Keller that, like, they didn't cry until I left them. Like, why would he be telling Keller things and not the police? I... It seems to be one of those things where he's kind of, uh, <laughs> I would say, imprisoned by his experience or maybe even like takes a little bit of joy from causing the pain. Yeah. So he doesn't want to get in trouble. So he knows what he's doing by like lying. He's playing dumb. But we see it in the way that he's so casually cruel to the dog when he yanks the dog up and just yeah. holds it there by the collar. Like hanging in the air that he wants to inflict pain um it's something that you hear the phrase like hurt people hurt people Mm -hmm. and it's something that we kind of see and talked about already as a theme in this movie uh the same way that holly and her husband lose a kid so they start taking other people's kids to cause them the same pain so it seems like alex in a way knew what he was doing and just in that moment where Keller is so upset he wants to just like inflict that little bit more of pain and there's also we see clearly that he's like struggling to express what happened to him it seems he's like suffering from Stockholm syndrome in an incredible way like he could drive away at any time he doesn't have to go back to Holly's house at this point but he he does uh, willingly every single day so part of like Barry is really has become Alex in this way and is so like psychologically messed up that it's something that he probably struggles to even figure out how to talk about or discuss or untangle. So that's his own like personal maze. But the reason why he like says these things to Keller and maybe doesn't even talk a lot of it is that he wants to cause pain. Yeah, it's that's what I was kind of thinking is he's caught in this weird in between where he's been completely reshaped by Holly and her husband and turned into this sort of monster who is complicit and like on the same terms as them. It's like kidnapping children and inflicting pain in the world, pain in the world. They're like weird wage with war with God mission um, that he's just like Stockholm system. He's been in it for so long that like he's just adapted it adopted it but also on the other side like internally he is a child who was kidnapped (laughs) like he feels pain he feels for these girls um and probably ultimately feels for keller so like we just see this deviation between like him feeling sympathy and like wanting his life back and just like what he's stuck in and how holly has turned him into this sort of monster yeah it's bleak Uh, I found the dialogue that she has. She says, you should know Alex didn't lay a hand on the girls, just wanted to give them a ride in the RV. I was the one who decided they should stay. Oh, that must have been the line where I thought she was talking about being in the van. Yeah, it's ambiguous enough to where you could read it as like, I was in the van. (laughs) I also like thought that they should like, you know. Yeah. I was fine with it, but then I was like, you know what? They should stay. But it's also ambiguous enough to the point of like, 
you know, he brought them back to his place. It was just like, I just gave him a ride. And she's like, no, you know what? They should stay. Yeah. Okay. Good to get clarification on that. Um, I would say that's all the main questions we had. Is there anything else that gets you jazz about this movie, Chris, you want to talk about? Um, I think one thing of notes, I mean, maybe people have read the article, maybe they know this, have looked it up themselves, but in the original script, it did have a scene where like Loki finds Keller. Mm. Um, and it was in the script up until when they were filming. And then at the point where they were filming, uh, Denis was just like, we don't, we don't, it's obvious. Like, we don't need to film this. We don't need to do that. Just like he hears the whistle, he hears the whistle and you can like put it together that he's going to find her. I mean, him not finding her leaves that room of like degree of ambiguity. Uh Uh-huh. But there's so many other parts in the movie where we see Loki kind of like follow up on little clues or details that it would just be such a betrayal of the established character for him just to be like, nah, and leave. Hmm. (laughs) That's all. I I, I definitely agree. That is the right choice to not show Loki finding Keller. A, for what you just said, like it's just, just part of his character. Like, of course he would go open up and find him um but i will say it's interesting that denis it it maybe there are deeper reasons for doing what he did but it seems the reason he did what he did is because it's just implied that lucky will go over and get him and that we don't need to show it where for me it was kind of one of the few moments in the movie like i actually felt something um (laughs) and it was like by not showing loki going over to keller it was the symbolic way of showing Keller being imprisoned, like whether or not Loki goes to get him, it's this call for help. The fact that he is trapped, there's this kind of, there's not ambiguity about whether or not Loki will get him. There's ambiguity about like whether or not he'll remain a prisoner, whether or not this, this experience has like forever changed him. If he'll ever come back and be the man he was and be a better father and all that. Yeah. I mean, we don't know if he's going to go to prison for what he did to Alex. Yeah. We don't know if he will be able to stop drinking again because he used drinking as like a cover yeah. when Loki was following him. But then he continued to drink. Yeah. So what's going to happen there? Uh, he already had his doomsday complex. Is he going to go further down that rabbit hole of having this untreated grief that has already stricken him and been affecting his life? Like how much crazier is he going to be? Like, is he going to put both of his kids on leashes? Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I say good call on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, was the smarter move, man. But I, it's a man. I kind of hoped that this time it would be like the big breakthrough, <laughs> but it's alas, even someone like Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I think it's like incredible actor. And he has such energy in this movie. Like, I feel like the movie does a disservice to him. Like I, I feel like I could have felt his his performance a lot more. That's just like, I don't know. It's kind of like a vague complaint about this movie that like stylistically, it's not presenting everything viscerally enough for me. But that's that's really the only way I can put it. Yeah, I can see it's a little more. Did you like? I can't remember. How do you do? You like Zodiac or do you not like Zodiac? I remembered liking Zodiac, and the second time I watched it, I thought it was just okay. But I'm still a fan of that movie. Okay. I feel like this and Zodiac are, like, very similar in their presentation. Um, 
and cinematography and energy though maybe that uh, gives the main character a little bit more of like a journey mm-hmm. right i know what you mean um but i would say just naturally whatever david fincher's doing like i think his pacing's a little more to my liking he's a little more that. intense i think yeah there's a uh, yeah <laughs> fincher is very but he doesn't have an intense close up on a single tree that's true so that that kind of lost me i will admit <laughs> Um, do you have like a, a favorite moment in the movie? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, do you have a favorite moment that you haven't expressed? I think I really love the character introductions, like the Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, I was uh, thinking contrast about that. between like the Kellers and Dovers and the time that they're spending together and how like warm and bright it is. And then when they have to call the cops, I'm going to like call the cops. And then it cuts to just like the cop car in the parking lot. It's rainy. It's dark. It's Jake Gyllenhaal alone in this Chinese restaurant <laughs> trying to like strike up conversation. And I did like Zodiac dialogue. Yeah. There's just something very like awesome to me about the flow of that yeah i do like that part i i think yeah and i'm thinking about it now i think the end is my favorite part um which again is kind of a bummer to hear denny <laughs> say the only reason he did it was like purely for plot um to me i just feel like there's so much thematic and character implications there that it, it felt like a moment that like the movie felt enlivened to me and that it was expressing a core idea visually and by something that didn't need to be spoken you know I have enough faith in Denis that I'm sure he also agrees with you <laughs> that it wasn't just plot, but it was the right, right call for like all the themes. I know. I have to think like, I, I there's no way he didn't do that on purpose, like for thematic reasons, but still I'm just reacting to you, what he actually said, like what you read. That's so funny to me. Like that's how he put it. Oh, uh, it was like the screenplay writer. Oh, okay. Just the like, screenplay writer. Okay. Then yeah, that's different. Yeah, relaying like kind of secondhand some of the like thought process of it. All right, fair enough. Denis, you win that one. Denis wins. There we go. There we <laughs> I go. I mean, he's he's great. I don't want to. I'm sounding like I'm shitty on him. I mean, I don't like very many of his movies, but like he's he struck a chord. <laughs> like he's huge. Dune's fucking huge. Like dude's just on a. Here's the one thing I'll say about him. And while I don't really care for the way he presents his actors, like he gets incredible actors in his movies and like they're acting their asses off so kudos yeah i i think you feel about denis the way that i feel about like nolan at this point yeah um like i recognize why people really are attracted to what nolan does but it just doesn't work on me for me anymore yeah a lot of the times it doesn't with nolan but i will say i really enjoy inception and tenet so all the other ones i don't know (laughs) Inception and I have to rewatch the prestige. I liked oh, it back yeah. in the day. Batman begins. <laughs> That's it. I, I do like moments of Batman's begins, but only because it's so fucking insane that I'm just like, wow, like <laughs> how did they make this movie? Yeah. He, uh, he really went places. with it. Yeah. There's just some bold choices in that one. And then he got boring. Like dark Knight returns is so boring compared to that movie. 
it's I don't I just feel like he was at the point where like he was really excited about Batman Begins. He put all his time and effort into the Dark Knight and like it got lauded and acclaimed in the way that he was like see see and then they're like you have to do a third and he's just like uh make inception yeah like i want to do so many other things that aren't this dumb movie and so he just made a lot of (laughs) frustrating choices (laughs) okay so we did it chris we talked about your favorite movie ever one of them (laughs) i don't even know if it's in my top 10 (laughs) it's in your top 10 of most viewed movies i don't know if it's even in that yeah yeah i'm trying to that that idea of you watching the movie like twice within a week like there are a few movies i have like that that those always just end up being a special one i think no matter what like like i watched picnic at handing rock like almost back to back and and i've watched it since then and even though it doesn't hit quite like it did the first time like there's something special about that movie based on like the first experience i had with it and like how entranced i was by it that i watched it multiple times in a short period of time that you you can't really shake yeah it just kind of like stays with you yeah mm. baba duke was one oh yeah baba that duke. did that you did a tropical malady right tropical malady yeah everybody's that should be a requirement of that movie you should have to watch it twice in a row <laughs> just to be like what the what in the world see that's a movie that does such a great job of like subtlety and subtext yeah but still having this like very active energy throughout yeah you're you're wrapped up in it oh, what a movie mm. someday we'll talk about it yeah <laughs> could you imagine the we do a, like a podcast episode on prisoners. It gets 20,000 plays and then we do tropical malady and it's like seven. It, we'll have to wait for a criterion to put out the Blu-ray. Cause like, I, I don't know how much longer society can continue, how much further civilization can make it before tropical malady gets released on Blu-ray. Like somebody has to have the balls to do this. I thought they had a Blu-ray come out just from one of the weird no, I shouldn't say weird. One of the smaller, like, places. As far as I know, there's just a DVD. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Um, that needs to happen. I thought it would have happened. Oh, wait. What is this? Tropical Malady is getting a 4K restoration. No. Where are you reading? This that? is from one year ago on Boutique Blu-ray, the subreddit. Oh, yeah. Blue- yeah, sure. They said, uh, I just attended a workshop. This is posted by Do Sample. Uh, a workshop supporting the premiere of Memoria in his home country, Thailand, today. I had a chance to chat with him a little bit about whether his 2004 masterpiece, Tropical Malady, would s- receive a long overdue restoration. And the good news is, yes, a 4K restoration is currently in the works and will be done by the end of this year. This means it should be released on Blu-ray by different distributors around the world next year. All right, so if we believe Reddit user do sample 36291, like if his scoop on this is true and he's not making it up, we'll we'll see a Blu-ray of it by the end of the year. Though I hopefully it's like a worldwide release. Yeah, it needs to come back to theaters. Like I'll be there in a second. Oh my god, if they got to play that, I'm just going to email the Alamo Draft House every single day. Like <laughs> play, play Tropical Malady in theater, you cowards. You cowards. Just gonna like you cowards at the end of every email that has to like <laughs> dig at him right yeah i think 
I think that'll do something. Has to. Mm. Tried and true tactic. Okay. What do people need to do? They need to go visit filmcolossus.com. Should do that. Go read Chris's uh, They piece. should t- subscribe. We're telling people to subscribe to the podcast at the end of the podcast. <laughs> well, I'll put in something at the beginning. How about that? Smart, smart, smart. 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 Okay. So if you have listened this whole time and you didn't subscribe at the beginning, subscribe now. Yeah. Um, and if you want to support us, you can um, become a patron. We have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash film colossus. Um, right now, for three bucks a month, you can listen to the episodes ad free. Uh, we'll be adding more perks in the future. But for now, you get that sweet, sweet perk. What a perk. Wow. And that's it. Do we know what movie we're covering next? Do we? Uh, we could talk about Perfect Blue. We should. It would be nice to talk about a movie that you're excited to talk about. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Perfect Blue. Okay. Or Black Swan. Be- Here, that it'll be, uh, you won't know. This is a tease. We're either going to talk about Black Swan or Perfect Blue. All right. Oof. I don't know. If people are going to just be dripping with anticipation. I don't think they're going to be able to handle it. <laughs> Somebody should make the joke. Aren't they the same movie? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about both of the movies at the same time. Like You'll talk about Black Swan and I'll talk about Perfect Blue. And we'll just have overlapping dialogue. Perfect. Okay. So Blue. expect that. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Bye. See ya. Got a big question to ask. Anything? Do you want to do anything? We'd all love to hit skip on our problems now and again, but using weed to deal with stress as a teen won't make your issues go away. Learn more at mindovermarijuana.com. That's mindovermarijuana.com. Sponsored by the California Department of Public Health.